Welcome to the Fabric Podcast. This series of episodes is called How Much is Enough? And our hope is to dig into conversations about money. These episodes were captured as part of a live gathering in Minneapolis, and we're so glad you're joining the conversation now. I'm Greg Meyer, and I am here to talk about money. People really like to think about money a lot. And people do think about their own money a lot. Sometimes they like to do that, and sometimes they don't feel so good doing that. But people like to think about money a a lot. What people don't like is when other people talk about their money, right? Uh, In fact, I I Googled it. There are a whole bunch of surveys of the things that people like least to talk about, the least favorite topics of conversation. And talking about your personal finances is always in the top three things that people don't want to talk about. So... Welcome to How Much is Enough? We are going to have so much fun, right? Yeah, this is going to be great. <laughs> so uh, how much is enough? It's a good question. Uh, Carlos Correa, um, you guys know him, just re-signed with the Twins. Um, six-year contract, $200 million. Uh, and that's after, in the last two months, negotiating um, a deal with the Giants, $350 million for 13 years. Or he had another one going with the Mets for $315 million for 12 years. Sounds like a lot of money, but you have to remember, this is split over six years. So it's only 33 and a third million dollars a year. And again, it's only a six-year contract, right? So if you think about, you know, he has got to carry him all the way to retirement. It's barely $5 million a year, you know, until then. So, you know, give, give the guy a break, okay? Now, and, you know, hey, it's not about Carlos, right? We're, <laughs> how much is enough, right? How much is enough? So personally... Um, don't tell my agent this. I would play for, I would play for the twins for half that. Um, so just kind of waiting for the, that letter. Um, but no, really, I mean, what, what is $200 million? It's like, I don't even get it. Right? One million, two million, maybe a little bit more like, yeah, I, I can see how I would use that. I could see that would be kind of fun. But you start getting 20, 30, 80 million. I, I just like, I don't understand it anymore. Um, like, what would I do... I mean, legal, right? What would I do for 100 million, but if they offered me 90, you'd say, no, you know, <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. I, mean, it's got be, I, I, just, I just don't get it. I mean, there's something about this enough question that just is really kind of weird. So how much is enough? There's a, a battle going on in our nation for the last couple of years about minimum wage, trying to raise it to $15 an hour. $15 an hour, let's assume it's full time, 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, that's 31,200 bucks a year. Uh, one 1,068th what Korea is being paid a year. Okay, yeah. Uh, one in five, from ni- between 1990 and the year 2020, children in poverty in our state has been between one in five and one in 20 children in our state living in poverty. Bounces up and down all the time. Uh, that makes me even you know, start thinking about how much isn't enough. There are far too many people in our world, there are far too many people in our country, in our own neighborhoods, maybe you, maybe people in your own family who really just don't have enough money to look after their own health and well-being. And the kind of one of the funny things about it is it isn't necessarily even an economic question. I mean, often it has more to do with the color of the skin than it does anything that's, you know, really economic in origin at all. And it all seems to be rooted in this fact that some people's chase for enough requires that there's other people who can't have enough. I mean, it just seems to have to go together. So how much is enough? It's a good question. It's a good question. But before we go there, there's another question that we need to settle. 
And that's the one that I want to shake around today with all of you folks, okay? And uh, so here's the deal. Many of you know a lot more about money, about investments, about management of this sort of stuff, all that financial stuff, taxes, you name it, than I do. I am not a money expert. But what we're going to be talking about this month is something that virtually nobody knows much about. Certainly not enough about. It is not taught in any financial management or you know, investment type classes. Kai Rizal does not talk about it on NPR's, what's the name of his program, Marketplace. Um, it, it all boils down to this one simple question that is the title of this week. Whose is it? Whose is it? Your money, that is. Whose is it? Well, um, there is one answer, and you can see this answer. Mine, of course, my money is mine, right? Your money is yours. You worked hard for it. You deserve it. You know, it's yours. How would I dare suggest that it is anything other than yours or mine? Uh, but let me suggest that, okay? And this is on your outlines if you follow along with that kind of stuff, right? Your money, it's not yours. It's not yours. That's the first half of that line, okay? It is not yours. And let's, let's talk about that. Now, you may wonder how I can possibly claim that your money isn't yours, doesn't belong to you. Well, it's for the same reason that those suits that funeral parlors long ago used to provide their customers, <laughs> the pockets in them were fake. Like, what would they put in them, right? You know? They can't take it with you. I mean, it's intrinsically not yours. Or think of it this way. Um, that money that is supposedly yours... You received it in exchange for some work, for your time, for something you worked hard you know, to produce, and you provided other people, and then they compensated you with that. But you did, did you create that thing that you provided, or that work, that time, that, that, that effort? Did, you, did, was it, did it come from you, or was it simply part of this world already, and you were just one who handled it? You were the middleman, the middlewoman, whatever it might happen to be. Or think about it this way, the Amazon. Um, the Amazon is the home of the two largest rivers in the world. You all know the terrestrial one that runs through the jungle and flows into the Atlantic Ocean, right, out of the Andean Mountains. Um, but there's a bigger ocean. That's, that's, the biggest, that's the biggest river in the world. But there's one that's even bigger in the Amazon, and that's the one that's above it in the clouds. There is more water flowing up over the Amazon into the Andes than that is flowing out through the jungle. For that reason, a lot of people call the Amazon the lungs of the earth, because that system of the trees transpiring all that water and then it falling and coming into the earth changes more about our global climate than probably any other little single factor like that. So, it's huge. so, so the question, the Amazon is in Brazil. Does it belong to Brazil? Are they the only ones who really should have a say about what happens in the Amazon? Or does it kind of, for some reason, sort of belong to us all? Is it part of the earth that we are all part of? Well, you could say, well, great, good point. But my money isn't really quite like the Amazon. I mean, you know, I wish it was that big, but it's not. I say, yeah, true, it's not. But isn't that really just a matter of scale? Isn't the concept exactly the same. 
I think it is. I think it is. Um, the philosophers and songwriters 3,000 years ago were wrestling with this very same question, and they said it pretty plainly in their 3,000-year-ago you know, kind of language. Um, it's in the Psalms. Psalm 24 begins with these words, The world is Yahweh's and everything in it. The world is Yahweh. Yahweh is the Hebrew name of God that you find if you read the Hebrew Bible all the time, um, which means, and you've heard me talk about this many times, which means roughly, I am who I am. The world is I am who I am. Your English Bibles are all going to translate as the Lord, which is just really missing it, right? But the world is I am who I am and everything in it. Now, they didn't say that because their scientific understanding of the world was very primitive and they didn't quite get it and they thought, you know, God, Yahweh, whoever is some divine being who has declared that's all belongs to me, not to you guys. You know, I'm going to claim it from you. No, they said that line because they got it. They understood. They know human beings are, you know, impressive, they're inventive, they're industrious, and a bunch of other things that begin with in. But what they aren't are the originators of anything. Everything just is. And it's here, you know, just because it is. It doesn't matter if you believe that it all came up through the Big Bang or through seven days of creation. It really just doesn't make any difference at all. It is all here without us, and it's all here even if we aren't here. It isn't here because of us at all. Or to put it more accurately, we are just part of all of it. That's it. And God, well, so let's back up, because I think of, you know, we've got to get this straight. When, when I talk about God, or when you think about God, I think we need to be clear what we mean by that, especially, well, at all times, but certainly around this conversation of our money, our wealth, our material possessions, and, and who they belong to, and how much is enough. I think we need to be clear about this. So God is a very modern word, comes from our Western European languages, and it refers to this Yahweh that I was talking about, I am who I am, the Lord. Um, that which is, is probably my favorite rendition of what that name, a mysterious name in Hebrew means. Um, we often think of God as a being out there somewhere with superpowers, benevolent superpowers, we hope. Um, who know, but who knows what God actually refers to? I mean, if God is God, right, then God has got to be too big for our understanding, for our, for our perception. God has got to be too big for any words we'd ever put around God to try to explain who God is, but yet we've got to do it, right? So we've got to use language. We've got to use ideas. We have to use concepts for it. Now, what we know is that God certainly is not some petty scorekeeper who's out there saying, well, these are the rules I put around your money, and you've got to use it this way, or you're in a lot of trouble with me. I mean, that isn't what it can be about. What God is, is God embodies the fullness, the meaning, the purpose of all things. That's what it means to belong to God. That which we perceive and which we understand, and that's stuff that we will never perceive and never understand. So, so what does that have to do with your money or with my money? If all things belong, as in, are part of, find their meaning, find their purpose in God, not us, then the way the world works and what your money has to do with it all makes sense. It is real, it's deep, it's from the foundations of the universe kind of sense-making. It's about being in sync with, it's about being a part of the world and everything in it. So the indigenous people of this continent, 
probably many indigenous people around the world had this firmly in their souls and in their minds and in their culture. And, uh, you know, they didn't seek to own anything. They sought to be in sync with. They sought to live in harmony with the world around them. As a community here, we use this metaphor of fabric, right? We know we're not the fabric, but, but I think kind of what we're all trying to do with our lives and as a community is be part of that fabric too. We find our meaning, we find our purpose, we find that we're living the lives that we feel called to, that make real sense for us, to be more apparent when we are tightly woven into this fabric, not when we're separated from it, not when we're pulled away from it. When we're weaving into the fabric, you know, that's good. Otherwise, we're unraveling it. And the fabric suffers when we do that, when we live in ways that aren't aligned with what the world is meant to be and how it all truly works from its foundations. And the fabric suffers, but mostly we suffer, even if we don't see it right now, even if it feels really good right now to do that unraveling and to be our own individuals, to be on our own, to have power over the things around us and so on. And it hurts us because we're cutting ourselves off from our own ground of being. So, if you want to talk about ownership, it all belongs to God, to that which is. And here's something to know about ownership. So, um, money is a funny subject because it's intrinsically spiritual. Say, no, 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 money is just a material. No, money is a deeply uh, spiritual issue. When Chris had you put that credit card over your heart and you felt like this just feels wrong, Why? Don't you rely on that, like day in, day out for a living? And you're going to say it's wrong to say it's part of me? What's going on there, right? It's a deeply spiritual thing. And as long as you are the owner of your money, I'll say this, as long as you are the owner of your money, your money is standing between you and God. Um, A couple of things I guess that would be as close to spiritual truths that I might have for any of us are these. One is, um, you will, if, you're, if your money, if you are the owner of your money, you will always want it more than you want God. Put your own definition, your own understanding of what this of God is, right? You will rely on it for your happiness and for your future more than you do on God. And you will want what it can give you more than what God offers. So Jesus, um, I, you know, I, he drew crowds. He drew huge crowds a lot of the time. And I, I, it was, you know, for a lot of reasons. But one of the big things is that he saw the world for what it is, and he was able to name it in ways that made a difference for people. People were able to see how they stood in the world. The Bible uses the language of right relationship. Something about Jesus' presence and what Jesus said allowed them to be in a more right relationship with themselves and with others and with God. That's, you know, not a bad thing, right? And, and this is one of the things that he said, because when he talked, he talked about money a lot, actually, and, um, and money was one of the things that he saw straight through and he spoke straight to. And, and this is just seven little words he said, but I just think they're amazing words and we tend to get them wrong. He said, you cannot serve, you may recognize this verse, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, we usually get that wrong. We think it's saying we can't have both God and money. You've got to choose between God and money. But that's not what it's saying. It isn't saying you have to choose between either being a spiritual person 
or material, material person, not person. It is saying what we need to do is choose which one we will serve. That's different. You can participate in both. You can only serve one. You choose. Now, I think this is really important. If you're going to get this money thing straight, you need to get in sync with its role in your life and our world, and you need to understand this. You don't have to choose between God and money. You have to choose, are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? You can talk about what does it mean to serve. I would say it has something to do about which one is calling the shots in your life, right? Which one you put first there. So, you can talk about that in your groups, right? Um, talk about it at home. You can say, yeah, it's great and crazy, you know? <laughs> is this really such a big deal? Do I have to take my money that seriously? Or, or is this really something our society really does have kind of upside down and screwed up and we just aren't willing to face for what it is or not? Um, yeah, anyway, that was the first half. Here's the second half of that line that was way at the top. Your money, it is not yours, but you are in charge of it. Your money, it is not yours, but you are in charge of it. And coming back to this, you have to decide who you're going to serve. Um, you know, if you don't manage your money, if you aren't in charge of your money, it will manage you. We'll be talking about that a lot in some of these weeks coming up. But if you don't manage your money, it is going to manage you. So anyway, your job, my job is management. That is, how are we going to put it to work? Making decisions about using it. It's stewardship is the old-fashioned word around all this stuff. Now, that's not just true, you know, stewardship isn't just something we're supposed to do about our land and, you know, plants, animals, water, air, all that sort of stuff. It has to do with our wealth, with our money, with our material position, uh, possessions. It all belongs to God, not us, all right? And it is in being sync with the owner of our money that our wealth finds its meaning and purpose and adds to the world rather than what takes away from the world. And that money, that wealth, is in your and it's in my hands. Now, as such, you get to manage it for some pretty cool things. You get to manage it for your own enjoyment. Yeah, that's right. You're expected to enjoy it. This world is an amazing, beautiful, fantastic, place full of variety, more than any of us can ever imagine. And it is there for us to enjoy, to celebrate in, all right? That's not just okay, that's actually the purpose of it. And your money is a way for you to be able to engage in that world. That's okay. Know that the beauty and the wonder of this world is not there to tempt you. It's actually there for you to enjoy it, all right? And your money is a way of being able to do that. It's also there for you to manage for your care. That's right, you're a human being. You've got tangible needs. This is real stuff. You aren't expected to be a spirit alone. You are a real person. So having money to care for your health, for your safety, for your well-being, to be fed, to be um, secure, those things. And for those that are close to you, to provide for that care for yourself and for those close to you, that's also one of the important reasons for you to be managing your money. Your money is also there for you to manage for others. Remember, it doesn't belong to you. You are in charge of it to be used for the purposes of the owner, or as I would say in our 21st language, 21st century language, it's, used, it's to be used in sync with what is good for all. Just because rain falls on one acre of land doesn't mean that it's all only meant to enrich that one acre that it falls on, right? So 
you know, let's face it, this is something, that area is something our society hasn't been real good at understanding about how this all gets managed for others. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but it feels true to me to realize that my money in, is in my life, but it isn't mine. It runs through me, it runs through my bank account, it runs through my hands, but it isn't mine. Yet it is there as a gift. It's a blessing to me and to be able to enjoy and to love this world that I've been given. It's there for me to care for me and for those that are close to me. And it's also, you know, I think it makes sense for me to know that it isn't necessarily all just there for me. It runs through me to others as well. I am a distribution center, not a warehouse. I think that's true for all of us. So, um, you know, I think we can realize that when we use, see that that third purpose of managing our money is also for others, it helps us see that we are actually, and feel that we are part of this world, not having to be apart from it, not having to secure ourselves, not having to make sure everything works just for ourselves. It helps us feel part of everything. But then that question pops up pretty quickly in my mind, maybe in yours too, and that is, you know, the how much question, right? Like, how much can I use for my enjoyment? How much can I use or should be used for my own self-care? And how much do I have to share with other people, right? Well, we're going to hold on to that question a bit. How much is enough is a deep well of a question that we will never quite see the bottom of. So before we look into that too much, I think we need to settle this ownership issue first. It's not yours. Be thankful for what you have been entrusted not greedy about it. Get to know your wealth. Get to know the money that way first from it not belonging to you. And then we'll talk about how much is enough. Uh, let me twist it around one more way. Okay, you, you know I, I love to do that, right? So if our money, if our wealth, if it belongs to God, to the universe, to that which is, like I like to think of it, um, that means I or you have been entrusted with that money, right? Okay. But as stewards, as managers of it, how we use it isn't up to us, is it? It's really been entrusted to you and to me to use according to the purposes for which the owner entrusted it to us. Not according to some, you know, divine being, like I said earlier, you know, it's made up all these silly rules and says, I want it to be this way. You got to know it's, it's like, the way that it really all works, it all goes together, it all belongs, the way it really all makes sense beyond our own vision and ability to understand it so, sometimes. So, so my question, is that okay with you? I mean, is that, is that right? Are you, are you willing to let the owner set the purposes of your money, or do you need to be the one who's in charge of deciding that stuff? Like, you get to decide, no, it's for me. I, I'll, I'll use it the way I want to use it for my purposes. So I guess, you know, to be blunt about it, um, the question is, do you trust what the owner has to say about your money or not? Hmm. Uh, poking away a little further, you know, the truth is that this question we've been talking about all day today, it's not about your money at all, is it? No. It's, it's not about your money. It's... It's not whether you can trust God with your money or not. It's whether you can trust God with your life or not. But you put the language around God that you need to, to be able to understand that, that question. 
After all, this is about your life, isn't it? It's not about your money. Your money is just another fact. It's a tool. It's a vehicle. It's a, a factor in your life. So Jesus said, again, in one of his moments of clarity, he said, I have come that you may have money and that you may have it abundantly. Okay, he didn't say that. That's what we wished he had said. He said, I have come that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. It is life that God wants you to have abundantly. Not money. Not money. So if all this stuff that we're talking about today, if this is about your money, trust your money. All right? Grab it. Hold on to it. It's yours. But if what we're talking about today is your life, then trust God. And trust God. You'll spend your life trying to figure out what that means and how to do it. Thanks for listening. We hope these conversations are helpful and connective. You can find out more about Fabric at fabricmpls.com. There you can find notes from previous conversations and other resources for deepening your relationships with the threads of yourself, others, and that third strand we often call God. You can also find ways of connecting to a group, whether you're in the Twin Cities or not. You can join in supporting this community financially too. It's through the generous giving of people like you that Fabric is sustained. Again, that's fabricmpls.com. Thanks for being Fabric in your unique way.